spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch and Lockie, and tonight we will be covering the Super W semi-final action. Super Rugby Pacific Round 10, match of the round, which is the Hurricanes versus the Brumbies, and I'm very excited to get into it. Lockie, we're going to start with you. How are you? How good is it being a Reds fan in this moment? Oh, hello, gentlemen. It's a fantastic day to be a Reds fan. It's not often we see ourselves with two wins on the weekend, but I'm a very happy man. Have to admit, nervous moments in both games, and I can't say they were the prettiest wins, but I will take them, especially the girls. It is huge to be in a Super W final up in Townsville this coming weekend. And condolences. Condolences to you both. I thought you'd be there, but... It's devastating. Next year, maybe it's next year. definitely devastating. Mitch, we had an ugly win on Friday night that we've already done the instant reaction pod too. How are you since then? Have you kind of got over the frustration of the Waratahs loss today? I think I'm wearing it a little better than you are, Ando. I didn't actually get out to the game. You did. And uh, before we hit record this afternoon or this evening, you were very upset with the result. And, and so rightly so. I think we were both pretty confident going into that game that the, the girls would get the, the job done. And credit to Lockie. Lockie did say last week in our preview that, you know, you can't discount this drawer team. And they showed up this week and they, they got the chockies and they've kicked us out. So unfortunate Mate, afternoon. So- you know what? Okay, I'm not going to get into my rant now. I'm going to save it for when we get to that section of the pod. And let's just get <laughs> off this topic quickly. Quickly, Otherwise, I'm just going to explode a little bit. So, Mitch, uh, why don't you quickly take us through our tipping results and where the competition is at at this point in time? Yep. So, well done to Dan G or Jojo Rabbit, who's still in first place on 48 points, followed very closely by Paul F or S Blanco, second place on 47 points. Uh, followed by Stephen P L Fish and Chips. And I think Stephen P's moved up in the ladder. I don't think he was there last week in third mm, place. So, so well done to Stephen for taking out third place. Uh, it's very tight up the top there, as you can see. Uh, 116 points is the margin uh, for Stephen P with 101, both shared by Paul F and Dan G. So it's it's pretty tight there. And it, it I think, Lockie, you were saying before we hit record as well that you you forgot to put some of your tips in this week and you've jumped from eighth place down into 70 somewhere. No, not over that period of time, but I am notoriously bad at submitting my tips in and got there Saturday morning, forgot about the Friday night fixtures and I have slid from eight all the way down to still a strong 70th <laughs> when I'm looking at your team, um, Mitch. But in the grand scheme of things, I've got a long way to climb back up. So maybe this time I'll actually remember to get him in and see if I can challenge wherever Ando's sitting. Uh, I think 18, 19, or four or something. So still, still taking that top 25. Yeah, <laughs> I like how it readjusts. Top 30, top 40, top 25, whatever it needs to be for me to be top. Yep, yep, that's it. Um, well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we'll quickly go through our two simple calls to action that we always have. Firstly, join our Discord community to be a part of the best Australian community going around. The link is in any of our social media profiles. Get there to get your rugby fix. Now, lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash rugby and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So thank you very much. And without any further ado, let's get into the Super W semi-final and Super Rugby Pacific Round 10. Let's go. All right, we have had some semi-final results for the Super W over the weekend. Uh, both of these games played this afternoon in Sydney, Concord Oval. And are you lucky enough to get out to watch the Waratahs and Fiji draw a game? Uh, didn't manage to get the Queensland Reds game, but we'll start with the first one. Final result was 17-20 to the draw, so they have seen themselves into the grand final next week at Townsville. What were your initial thoughts from this game? Oh, look, I was incredibly frustrated. Um, It's super annoying that the Waratahs kept their worst performance of the season to the semifinal, so they now get knocked out, which absolutely sucks. 
Um, and I think they're going to be incredibly disappointed. So they scored 17 points within the first like 15 minutes of the game. And then we're fairly, I'm not going to, I don't want to be too harsh because I'm frustrated. So I don't want to say something now. I'll come to regret. But they were just, they were, they were full of errors and inaccuracies that they're going to be really frustrated about. And what I was going to say at the beginning, um, which I held off on, but I actually think this was to an extent less about the Fijiana team winning and more about the Waratahs losing. And that's genuinely with all respect to the Fijiana team because the Waratahs have been far and away the best team in the Super W comp this year. Lockie, what are your thoughts on that that statement there by Ando? Do you think that this was so this game was more of a, a loss by the Waratahs and, and that the Fiji drawer didn't not 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 deserve the win, but um, probably weren't the best side on the day. What what are your thoughts? Oh, I think he was a little bit of salt there no. from Ando, but <laughs> I'd have to agree. It's it can be both. It can be both. So yes, it definitely wasn't the Tars' best performance, and I would say it was their worst. But they were off their game and they were rattled. Not from the start, but from that 15, 20-minute mark when they had a 17-point lead and things went pear-shaped. You don't get rattled off your own accord. You get rattled because the team pressures you. And the Drewer made sort of mincemeat of the entire New South Wales structure because of the pressure that they were able to exert at ruck time. If you go through, or if you're lucky enough to watch it and see the way that the momentum shifted, their ruck speed was phenomenal throughout that second part of the first half and for the rest of the game. And they really sort of turned the speed of the game into almost a frenzied pace. And that's what works for the Drua. And I think the Tars fell into the trap of trying to play that game. And ultimately, they've gone down to their bogey team and they've got a one and three record against them now, which speaks volumes to the pressure that Fijiana can create. See, on I would in argue... In the regular season, the Waratahs did get... Okay, no, you, get, you get going. <laughs> I would argue slightly against that. Insofar as, yeah, okay, the, the Druid did bring that up-tempo style that we, I mean, we know they're going to do that. Their offloads are ridiculous. I think I was reading in the match program, um, you can look at the overall stats for the season. And um, when you look at offloads, the Fijiana team have, have 112 offloads across the season, and then 53 is the next highest. So they're more than double any other team in the competition. Um, in fact, if you add the next two teams together, the Fijiana still have more offloads than them, uh, which is a fun stat to look at. But the, in my mind, the reason why the Waratahs in some ways, you could say got sucked into playing that style or weren't able to cope with it, was because their set piece was so inaccurate. And it's not a case of getting pushed off their own ball on the scrums. They just couldn't throw a line out straight to save their lives. Um, they, they must have thrown about four or five not straight line outs across the course of the game, which meant that they just didn't get like front foot ball in the Fijiana's half. And so they found it really, really hard to defend. And um, look, credit, the, the, the Fijiana team, the number eight, Sarima Lewanakila, I think that's it, and Marawai mm. Kumu as well, the 12 were excellent really really strong in the carry and hard to put down and then number three Vuanamasi Rasolia is an absolute mountain of a woman and just absolutely incredible it takes like four people to put it down but I look I said a lot there I just think it was more um the set the lack of set piece accuracy was a thing that stopped the tires from getting the possession and platform that they needed so in that way that's why I'm saying that they lost it rather than um the Fijiana team winning it. And Locker, we saw in the regular season that the Waratahs got a predominant result against the Drua the first time they played them, only a few weeks ago. What changes did this Drua team make this week to to really um, push the Waratahs so far and ultimately get the win at the end? Two things come into it, I believe. The first is the direction with which their attack is pointed. So rather than the standard Drua from what we've seen this season, which has been quite lateral, and looking to go wide and around and use their wingers, they actually trucked it up a lot more directly. So they looked to Rasselet, who had a massive game. I'd say she was the best on ground. And they're bigger players, and they really punched through the inside channel, and they did that really effectively before they looked out wide and they used that offloading game. So I think that direction came part of it. But also, I've got a funny feeling, and I'm not sure the Tars didn't join me saying this, but I think they already had one eye on next weekend. From the, from the manner in which the whole competition has been framed and the direction where we've been talking about Queensland and New South Wales, these two titans, 
I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of people shaking their heads back at Tars HQ thinking maybe we didn't look at this semi-final as keenly as we needed to because I think complacency might have been some part of that undoing. It's an interesting point you raise. We uh, we spoke with Emily Robinson last week around the prep that the, the team had made for this game, but also just the way that they had sort of structured their season. And not to put the, not to sort of to say that she was falling into the trap of doing that. She de- definitely didn't come out and say that they were expecting to win or they were coming in as favorites, but she did make a few comments around, you know, where, we're looking forward to being able to see the second game and, and see who we get to go up to Queensland and belt the next week. Um, so there was not not confidence, but at least belief in their own uh, ability to get the, the game won, which ultimately they didn't do. I, I found it interesting to see, even on the sideline, there was a few shots of her sitting on the bench that the camera um, panned to her in the last five or six minutes, about two or three times, and she just had her face in her hands the whole time. Like she looked really nervous, really was like, almost couldn't believe that the draw were ahead at that point and that the, the team were sort of struggling to get that momentum back. Yeah, for me, I'll just jump in there and say, um, I wonder as well if some of it comes down to inexperience. Like we, we did speak with them about a lot of the changeover within the personnel and a squad and some of the inexperience mm. that's within the team. Um, I mean, she's 16 years old, but Caitlin Halsey had probably her most error-strewn game that she's had this season. Um couple of knock-ons, uh, unfortunately got the ball kind of dislodged as she's going in for a try. Um, a few mistakes crept into a game that she hadn't demonstrated previously and they, they seemed to compound within this match. And a few other players as well perhaps weren't as um, composed as they might want to be as well. So, look, this, this is a team that genuinely has been in transition this year. And they came up against a Fijiana team who, as Lockie correctly pointed out, had changed their approach and seemed to pay dividend. Obviously, pay dividends for them. And they look; they deserved the win. Um, definitely have some gripes about the final turnover that they got that led to the bloody last attacking raid from the Waratahs um, getting stifled. Definitely got some salty <laughs> thoughts about that, but in the end, um, I genuinely think the better team on the day won. And as hard as it is to say, um, I, I think they did. So best of luck to both them and the Reds in the final next weekend in town- Townsville. Well, that segues us very nicely into the second game of the afternoon, and that was the Queensland Reds hosting the Brumbies in Sydney if you call it hosting at all. Uh, 23-22 was the final result there. Lucky, as you sort of said in our intro today, you're pretty happy with the result there by the girls. What were your sort of thoughts of the game? Probably a little bit closer than a lot of us sort of expected from this second semifinal. I don't think it was nearly as heart-wrenching as I needed it to be for my own health. I was a bit stressed, as you can probably imagine, sitting there with my partner and a housemate watching the far, final 10 minutes and the penalties go either way and praying that Karis Dallinger could kick because I didn't know if she could from <laughs> her Super Rugby old picky season. Um, really, I thought that when Sassy Smith went down um, and had to come off, I thought we were in a bit of trouble because I've yabbered on about her heaps this season, but she has been that focal point of the attack and our kicking structure as well. And I was really worried about how we'd go without her, without Brianna Dascombe, but our... Our backline pulled it out of the fire. Um, another huge shift up front from um, people like Brandon Cheatham and uh, Annabelle Cody. Shannon Parry played through what looked like a wrist injury at the end. And some very nervous moments, but we did get there. And I'm very relieved and very glad that we get that opportunity. But also, there is a part of me that wishes, just a tiny part, that wishes the Brumbies were able to get through to a maiden final as well, because we have seen such a good season. And wouldn't that have been a story? Um, to add to what's already been their best season by far. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, look, I find it really convenient that you've managed to get through that bit of a recap without mentioning the absolute farce that was the final penalty that won you the game. Um, The fact that Grace Kemp got called for a (laughs) no-arms tackle when she's clearly wrapping her arm was just ridiculous. Um, In defence of the referee, the, the player was falling and... It's a high-stakes moment. Um, I've never done it before, so I'm sure the adrenaline's going to... See, I, I thought that that tackle was penalised against Martha Fua. I didn't realise that tackle I was against I thought it Grace was Kemp. against Grace Kemp. Please 
ladies and gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was Grace Kemp that got pinged um, because I thought it was for the player falling into Kemp in the tackle. Maybe I'm wrong now. Um, so if, if it wasn't against Grace Kemp, then maybe it's okay. But if it was against Grace Kemp, it's completely, completely wrong. Mitch, you going on? Ender, what were your thoughts on this Brumbies performance? Yep. Oh, yep, throwing it back to you. Look, um, I thought that they they were really impressive insofar as they um, knew where the strengths of their team lay, which was in the forwards work and the organisation of their malls and the like. I mean, classic Brumbies, am I right? But basically just getting some really, really good pay from their forward pack, both off the back of a line-out mall, and then um, Grace Kemp just barging over and shoving away a winger in a scrum half to get over the line, being absolutely impressive in that moment too. She's basically fast become my favourite um, Waratah, uh, Super W woman, women's player. She's absolutely barnstorming off the back of a ruck. Absolutely love it. Um, so, look, I thought the Brumbies did really, really well. But, Lockie, how have the Reds been hiding Helena Young for the last little while? Why isn't she getting headlines absolutely everywhere? She was incredible. The pace that she has, she must be up there as the fastest, definitely fastest acceleration of any Super W player in a competition. I, I warned you last weekend, she's got gas. Um, that try against the Drua and the runs at the start really sealed it, but she was the difference. Really, when you look at it on paper, the way that she was able to get through, especially her yep. first try through four players, and she shook off Biola Dawa, who was no slouch, by the way, on the left wing for the Brumbies, and she just scooted past her. So, I mean, if you look back, she's a sprint champion from what I've been able to see in Fiji. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Aussie Sevens haven't got her on the radar already because can you imagine her tearing up a Sevens field mm. in gold? She'd be unstoppable. So clearly a huge strike weapon for the Reds going forward. Plus, you've got Ivania Wong on the other wing, an established Wallaroo. So really, that wing pairing is probably the most potent. And that's a big compliment when you look at the wing quality that we've got the likes of the Tars, Desiree Miller, Maya Stewart. You've got plenty of talent across the board in the wings of Australia, but Helena Young is quickly becoming that person. Well, that's a nice little segue, and why don't we move across now to the Super W final, which is happening next Saturday afternoon, 4.45pm kickoff uh, on Saturday the 6th of May. This is being played before the Waratahs and uh, Queensland Reds game in Townsville, the Super W game. So in a lot of ways... This favours the Queensland Reds team a lot, being somewhat a home game for them. Lockie, do you think that playing this in Townsville gives the Queenslanders that extra edge um, that may see the deciding factor in this final against Fiji? Aside from the fact that it's still in Queensland, it's an away game, isn't it? I mean, it's not like the Reds girls have been training up in Townsville, sweating it out, popping over to Maggie Island for a scoot around and coming home. It's, it's still an away game for both teams. So, yes, there's going to be some Queensland colour in the stands. You'll see your local Fijian population hopefully come out in Townsville and support as well. So I imagine it's going to be vocal. And if there's any crowd coming through to that um, origin-style game, I'd certainly like to hear them go for Queensland. But I still think they'll go in as favourites. The Reds, you'd have to think, off the back of a really strong season with the four wins, going down to the Tars in regular play by a point and coming through against a really tough Brumbies semi-side. You'd think that they're favourites, but we thought that about the Tars in the semi as well. So flip a coin. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Reds by 10. But if the Fijiana come back and, you know, pinch another final win, are we going to be that surprised, Ando? No, probably not. And um, my concern for the Reds would be their capacity to be able to front up to the Druid if they play that direct running game from their big forwards again. Um, I'm not sure how some of the Fijiana team are going to be able to back up um, in kind of the seven day window as well um because we already spoke about like the shift that Rasalia and Levina Kila put into not sure how they'll be able to turn around in that time frame um but if the Fijiana team are able to play that really direct play suck the reds in and then get that space for their backs to be getting their arms free for the offloads it's going to be a very, very tough um, day out for the Reds. So personally, I'm going to go the Drua by about 10 to 14, um, partly also so mm. then I can claim at least we lost to the eventual champions. 
<laughs> so salty and I so salty. Yep. I, I do yep, wonder I if the, the conditions are going to play into the Drewers' hands a lot more than the Queensland Reds. We've seen that even in Super in Super Rugby Pacific, that when the the men's team has played played some games earlier on in Townsville when it was hot and sticky, that they struggled with the humidity and they struggled with the ability to kind of keep the ball under control and just the level of sweat that got on there and how slippery it got. And I think that's the kind of style that this Fijiana's this Fijiana team is used to. They've they've had their preseason in Fiji. They know what these conditions are like. Um, not saying the Reds don't aren't familiar with those conditions either, but I do think, like Lockie was saying as well, there's there's a pretty big um, Fijian population as well in Townsville. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of people turn up and give them a lot of support as well. So um, as much as I'd love to see the Reds get the victory and, and have another Aussie team be the champions of Super W, I think it's the, this Fijiana team has shown this week that you can't really bet against them. So I could see either team winning. I'm going to sit on the fence here. I don't really. I'll let it. I'll let it go. Hey. <laughs> Come Make on, pick. pick. I'll go to. with Fiji then, but I'll say only only by three. It'll be tight. Right. I don't think there's going to be a ten point oh, score. Absolutely in it. love it. Well, why don't we move on then to the Super Rugby Pacific Round Ten? Now, something that I didn't say at the start of the show is that we also have a post-match interview or recording um, with Izzy Parisi, which is going to be attached to the end of this podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, stick around for that. It was um, conducted just after the post-match press conferences with the Waratahs. So um, going through the results from the weekend, our match of the round will be the Hurricanes versus the Brumbies. So we're going to pause and not talk about that match now, even though it was the first game of the weekend with the Canes winning 32 to 27. Next up, we had the Waratahs lo- winning, winning. I'm so used to saying losing. How great. Uh, winning against <laughs> the Highlanders 21 to 20. Now, Mitch, you and I both did the instant reaction pod. So we've spoken about this game enough. But, Lockie, I'm going to throw it across to you. Just in a broad sense, what were your takeaways from this game? I mean, it's not often that you get a Kiwi team coming to Australia and then going home with a 0-2 and two record. Yeah, look, sorry, it broke up a little bit there at the end, but for mine, the main takeaway was how influential Aaron Smith is to any rugby side he plays in. We saw him come on and totally control proceedings and what with 10 minutes to go, maybe even less, he's pulled. And the Tars are able to jag a win. They're able to grind out. The Highlanders lose that structure. They lose that calm. And Flaufakataga gives away that key penalty towards the end that gives the Tars the position. So to my mind, I'm still reeling at why they've pulled Aaron Smith. And you saw that he was sorely missed against the force. And he's, again, in those dying minutes when it really mattered, he was really missed against the Tars. But I've got to give it to... New South Wales, I'm so glad, and you'll rarely hear me say this, but I'm so glad New South Wales got a win. It's great to see. I've had my mini campaign to get the Highlanders out of the finals contention, and it's excellent to see a Kiwi team get knocked off at Allianz. But you did it the hard way, and the relief that I saw, and you've probably mentioned already, but the relief I saw on Jake Gordon's face after full time just about says it all. They did everything they could to lose that game and just managed to jag it at the death. So it's keeping their season alive, which is great to see from an Australian. I think one of the things that's come out on social media since the game's finished, and we spoke about we spoke about Hooper in the press in our instant reaction after the game, and we thought he performed well. We thought he had a good game. But a lot of people are questioning that. So now that you've had time and the game's finished and we've had time to review and to think about it, maybe I'll get Lockie to, to jump in and answer this first. But do you think Hooper played as pivotal role in this game and was as good as we initially thought he was after the game? I think he was influential. I don't think that he was the defining factor for the win. I think sheer bloody determination and a fear of losing more than anything else at the death got the Tars over the line. But Hooper had one of his better games of the season. I think we all recognise that he started fairly slow and has built into it well, but he's, you know, he's a class act. He's been able to put you know, a decade of really consistent high-level super rugby together. I don't think we should be surprised that he's out here putting in really solid performances. And it's rare to see him give less than a 7 out of 10. And he definitely went above that, to my mind, against the Highlanders. Well said. And um, Mitch, any further takeaways before we move on, considering we've had an extra, say, 20 or 36 hours in which to process the win? 
Oh, I, I think um, we didn't really mention Mahi Veilanu in our um, instant reaction pod. And I think going back and watching some of his involvements late was quite pivotal too. Um, just the way that he was able to find the, the try line at the end there. Hooper, in his post-match interview, put a lot of credit to him and said that, you know, he tried to go for the winning try and, and was pushed back and Vialanu was the one that was able to get over the line there. So um, I think he's having some good involvements and the more game time that he gets, Parecki's been really good for the Tars this season and is the form number two for the Wallabies at the moment. But Vialanu is, is having good impact off the bench and it's a tricky um, decision there, I guess, for, for DC to kind of manage both minutes and make sure that he's getting enough and also we've got a player like Tolu Latu on the bench or snipping on his heels too, who warrants game time as well. So um, it's good to see that, I guess, that competition for the hooker spot for the Waratahs at the moment. Well, moving on to the next match of the weekend was the Fijian and Drua versus the Blues. And this was played um, in Lautoka as well in Fiji, which is very exciting. A slippery game. Many teams have gone over and suffered but uh, ignominious defeats. The Blues did ring a few changes throughout their team, but their back line was pretty much first choice. And they came away, like I said, with a convincing 14-30 to 30 win. Um, we then had Moana versus the Rebels. And Moana, despite a very fast finish to this game, scoring a couple of late tries to definitely... Um, bring the game into, uh, I think there was one convert, there was one try separating teams and then the Rebels got a breakaway in like the 80th or 79th minute or something like that against the runner play to secure the win. Um, this consigns Moana to their tenth or cons- uh, ninth consecutive defeat when you include the bye as well. So nine defeats on the trot. Mitch, what do you think's going on here with Moana? Is it the fact that they're not able to have as many uh, home games in Samoa or Tonga? as, say, the Fijiana team or Fiji, Fijian and Druid team are, what is it that's uh, causing them to struggle so much in 2023? I think there's a, there's a few factors when you consider the, the fact that when they play their home games in Auckland, they're getting, like, it looks like about four or 5,000 people turning up to support them. So they're not getting that home crowd advantage. Uh, you also look at the roster that they've got. It's pretty similar to last year. And not to say that their roster last year wasn't good enough for Super Rugby, but it's a pretty inexperienced team. And they haven't added a whole lot of talent on that. They, yes, they do have the talents of Tavatavanawai and, and Levi Amua. Those guys are having incredible uh, performances for a team like Moana, but they still, those guys alone aren't enough to kind of get them victories against the competition they're coming up against week in, week out. They probably need another two or three players of that level to really start to challenge other teams. And at the moment, I just see that there's a, a skill gap between them and the other teams in the competition, particularly the ones lower down uh, on the table closer to them. And Lockie, coming into the final couple of minutes, the score was 33 to 38. And the uh, Moana team had just pulled back two five-pointers, uh, two tries, uh, both of them converted. So pulled back 14 points since the 73rd minute. How do you think the Rebels players were feeling after what happened both against the Blues and I think it was the Crusaders uh, giving away massive second-half yep. lead? How do you think the Rebels were feeling in that moment? <sighs> Bit of Groundhog Day, wouldn't it? Feel like that. It's a, it's a really unfortunate thing to be branded with that tag of second-half faders. And I think the Rebels really were at risk of you know, completing that hat-trick of letting it slip away. But it's really good to see them be able to jag that win. And also, I was really surprised to see that's Montiani's first try mm-hmm. for the Rebels. It took him all took him the 10 rounds to get there. But it's a credit to them. It's good to see them remaining competitive. And realistically, even if you look at the ladder and they're both out of that final eight at the moment, the top eight rather, they should be getting that win, the Rebels. They're a good enough team to go over to Auckland to play against Moana and get the win. I think it, they would have been very disappointed and it would have really signaled that they're not ready for finals if you can't get those wins abroad. So I'm pleased for them. I'm more worried about Moana in general. It's a, it's a tough position for them to be in and I look to who they've got on the sidelines and I can't wait for them to have Sokopa Kepu back in, in some kind of capacity because we saw mm. last year how influential he was for them at Tighthead. He's you know, one of your most decorated Waratahs of all time. He's a fantastic Wallaby prop. And I think they're really missing that leadership in the pack. And it goes a long way. When you look at the way that their set piece operates without Sokopi, 
you can see that something's lacking and it's probably yeah. that man. Yeah, very well said. I think what we'll do is move into what in many ways was the, um, I think I think in a broader sense, you could call this the match of the round, who are the best teams coming up against each other, the Chiefs versus the Crusaders. And up until, again, the final moments of the game before Tyrone Thompson's try in the 79th minute, the scores were 27 to 24 to the Chiefs, and the Crusaders were banging down the door. It was an incredibly close game. Um, Mitch, the Chiefs now go into this clearly the top team into in the competition. What do you think it is about the Chiefs that make them such a dangerous team to come up against and they're proving such a handful to both the Kiwi and the Aussie teams? They just have this ability to uh, to score points whenever they, like, from nothing. And we know that Kiwi teams in the past have always excelled through counterattack. Uh, but this Chiefs team is not only scoring through counter-attack, but also setting up tries in the midfield and and their like their composure when it gets to those like championship minutes late in the games when the game's on the line. They never look overawed by the occasion. They always look like they know what they need to do. They stick to their structures. One or one of their like extremely talented backs pull something out. Damian McKenzie puts a little chip through or um just the things that they do is just there doesn't, there isn't a team at the moment that's coming close to them, and you can't shut them down. You shut down one of their players, and they've got three other players that are capable of making a break themselves. They just do things so well. The Crusaders played a very structured game, and were trying to shut them down by keeping the ball in close and trying to keep it in the set piece. And the Chiefs were like, "Nah, we'll turn it over and we'll we'll spread it right and we'll score a try and we'll we'll extend that lead." So they've done so well this season to be able to do that. Uh, and I realistically, I don't see anyone coming close to them now that's probably going to take that victory. And what is it, nine straight? We, we were talking about Moana not getting a win yet. These guys haven't taken a loss yet. So nine from nine, incredible so far this season. And I think that point that you described about the kind of willingness of the Chiefs to take risks and take opportunities, they've just been brave. And they were so brave within this game to be willing to throw the ball wide from turnover ball deep within her own half and carve up a obviously a quality Crusaders team. And I think DMAC has really come into his own this season. Coming back into the Chiefs, I'd actually argue he's the form 10 of the competition, Include when you're including Moanga and Barrett in that picture. Like I'm I'm not intentionally like blowing air up him. I actually think he currently is. The question is kind of where do you go in terms of kind of all black tens. Does he does he kind of get the nod over? Are they going to be keeping Moanga? How do you think kind of 10, 15, and then 22 Lockie are going to be lining up for the All Blacks come the World Cup later in the year? Oh, don't do that to me. I don't want to give them any airtime. They always get enough airtime of their <laughs> it's own. It's an Aussie rugby podcast, it's, guys. It's, I, you have you have to have have to have um, you have to have DMAC in that 23, mm. right? He's been exceptional. And that's not an understatement. He has been exceptional. And he's come back from Japan a better player. He had a season in Suntory. It took them through to a final. They were unsuccessful, um, as we know, because Marika Korobati beat them all up in the final for Wild Nights. But he is a fully formed utility player. He's come from that live wire, smaller, almost Cheslin Colby mold of a dynamic, whippy player who can cover the back line. And now he is the form 10. He is. And he won't be there for the World Cup, is the pivot. It'll be Richie Moanga. But he's just signed mm-hmm. Damien McKenzie through to the end of 2025 with New Zealand Rugby. And Bowden Barrett and Richie Moringa are off after the World Cup. So we're seeing the future of the All Blacks playmaking structure, and it is Damien McKenzie. So it's exciting to see from a brand of rugby perspective how well he plays, but it's pretty ominous when you think that that's what could be directing the All Black ship for the next two, three seasons at a Bledisloe level. So... We'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. But yeah, he's the form 10 at the moment. My sure. only request in this entire situation is he never tries to grow a moustache because I don't think he can do it well. But outside of that, um, all power to him. He is an incredible player. And actually, he's one of those players. I mean, looking like- yeah, this week, that little mo that he's trying to grow, that little mo when he's going for goal and he's doing his little smiling and assassin little you know, smirk yeah. as he goes to line it up, it just looks wrong. It looks yep. horrible. It's so sleazy. Yeah, he needs a blue it comes card sleazy. It's just one. like he's such a great player. He's not a bad looking bloke either. But with the mo, nah, 
get rid of nah, it. No, he needs some lessons from Charlie Gamble in there. But why don't we move yeah. on now to the Reds versus the Force? So we're not at the match of the round yet. Still at the Reds versus the oh, Force. Oh, we're going to talk about the Reds? Nah. Do we, nah. They don't deserve no any airtime, do they? Um, so the Reds go up. How dare you? Um, and both of you guys were able to catch this game in full. I was in a tent camping with my youngest, youngest, no, eldest. I don't know. They're old. Um, so, Lucky, starting with you, One of them. as the Reds fan, how do you rate this game? Um, obviously, you won, so you're going to be happy. But in terms of the team performance as a whole? Well, as a game, it wasn't much to look back on, was it? It was a bit of a fizzer. There were lots of disallowed tries. There wasn't a lot of continuity. I thought the Reds focusing on their attack, that was quite lateral as well. They didn't find their direction, save for a, you know when they're in the 22 and they started hitting those tighter lines like Harry Wilson and Fraser McWright were hitting. But I didn't take a lot out of this game as a, as a Reds fan and as an Australian rugby watcher because it played out almost the way that you would expect but without the intensity of two teams fighting for a position in the finals. It felt like something was lacking. I'm not sure what it was, but for mine, I'm coming out with more questions for the Reds and the Force than answers. It was a very disjointed game, and especially it boil it down to the end where the Reds have 90 seconds to play with and they don't go for a bonus point in the context of how tight that bottom three for the top eight is. I, I found that totally bewildering, Mitch. Yeah, what did it was, you um, I enjoyed watching that and listening to the Stan Sports guys like try and process what the decision-making <laughs> was, trying to get in Liam Wright's head and be like, why would you go for the three here? Like, yes, you secure the win, but at the same time, you're not getting anywhere near a bonus point. And when the, the table is so congested, didn't make a whole lot of sense. They were dominant in that area of the field. Um, in that facet of the game, their line out and their malls were, they were punishing the force there. So you mm. would have expected them to probably go over and score the try. Not really sure what it was, whether it was just that, that you know, brain, that rugby brains that Simon Cron likes to talk about, or um, whether it's just a team, again, like we're starting to see a lot in the bottom sort of half of the table or more, um, six place up, there's that gap that's starting to appear in the table. But every team below that is so starved of wins at the moment that teams are just craving to get that. They just want to get the win on the board and so to sort of in some ways salvage their season that maybe that that's the only thing I can think of. The Reds were like, let's just bank this, get the points, make sure we get the win. Let's not give the force any hope of trying to steal this from us at this point. Well, the game started off quite quickly with Zach Kiribiji running away for a try, getting a double again. He has been on absolute fire this season. Uh, Michael Wells also got in the meat pies for the force, but we had Fraser McWright with a first-half double, denied a hat-trick twice. Matty Faisler got on a board with George Blake as well. Um, it brings us to the an interesting question which is popping up and I think will be a really good one for us to talk through. And again, Lockie, I'm going to throw this to you as the resident Reds fan to try and overcome the dual Waratahs bias that's here. But we have Fraser McWright, who is in incredible form as uh, the Reds number seven. And we have Michael Hooper, who has the decade plus experience at the top level, ex-Wallabies captain, and is coming back into a bit more of the form and the best of what we're seeing. Is currently on form Fraser McWright better than Michael Hooper? Yes. That's a simple answer. He is. He is the better seven on form. <laughs> And I don't think anyone can deny that. But when we're looking at a World Cup year, we're not looking about exclusively Super Rugby form. We look at what you bring to all the world of squad. We look at your World Cup experience. We look at the amount of situations that you've been in and been able to execute as well. And for all Fraser McWright's upside, he does not have the experience of Michael Hooper. And I would be very surprised if the gold jersey uh, is Fraser's for the season to start. I would expect Michael Hooper to be there. He's in Eddie's leadership team that we've seen with the likes of Slips and Ala Alatoa and Nick White and Andrew Kellaway from what we could see from those pictures from Wallaby Camp and maybe Jed Holloway. So there's there's a strong group that's formed. And you know, I would be very, very surprised if it's not Michael Hooper in the gold seven. That being said, if Fraser McWright's not on the bench, 
I would be very surprised and very disappointed because with Michael Hooper, we are wanting to manage him, at least from what I can see, through the spring tour, his return from last year. Now, I would rather see Michael Hooper play 50 minutes out of his absolute skin and then see Fraser and right break havoc and vice versa. There's a world in which we can tandem two sevens like that. So maybe that's the path going forward. But to my mind, the gold seven is Hooper's until he's done and dusted after the World Cup. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there because um, having McWright on the bench would then necessitate a pretty versatile um, back row, somebody who is able to fill in at lock if required, somebody who can fill in at six. So having those players that are kind of the six lock hybrid that we know that Eddie loves, having a few of them in and around the picture to compensate for a pure fetcher being on the bench. But Mitch, would you agree with that take that at this point in time, Fraser McWright is uh, the form seven between both McWright and Hooper. Yeah, I think out of the two, you, you can't go past Fraser McWright. I guess the involvement that he has on the game and the impact that he has. Two tries this week, two more that disallowed. Michael Hooper didn't cross the line once for the Waratahs this week. And aside from that, you look at the other stats, like the runs, the tackles, the turnovers. Michael Hooper's having impacts, but he's not having that type of impact on the game. Um, I agree completely with what Lockie's saying, though. When you look at the Wallabies, you can't be giving that's open side flanker position to a player like McWright, who's had a handful of minutes at test level and has been really sort of underutilized in the test arena so far when we're so close to the World Cup. One thing that I have seen online of people talking about as a potential uh, option for the back row is throwing Wilkin in there as well. What do you guys think of the idea of having um, Fraser McWright and Wilkin in like a 6-7 combination with Michael Hooper coming on for 30, 35 minutes and just leading it? And, and securing the wins for us in the World Cup. Lockie, you had a reaction there. I am a, I'm a huge Wilkin fan. That's why I got excited. I, I, I had the misfortune, actually, you'll enjoy this, of playing against Brad Wilkin all through my school career. Um, and he also played seven, which is where I played, and he consistently beat the stuffing out of me every occasion, <laughs> whether it was... Um, through school or through the, the um, other external games that we'd play, he was phenomenal. He's a New South Wales boy, but he was boarding up at Iona College out in Wynnum on Brisbane's Bayside. And he, when he went through as a first 15 captain, his team went undefeated. So he's got a fantastic junior record. He did sevens. He did Tars juniors for a while, under 20s rep. He's just been hampered by injury. And he's really the forgotten flanker of this generation that's come through. We've seen everyone rave about, you know, who's after the George Smiths and the Hoopers, you know, who fills that legacy. And I feel like Brad Wilkin is really the smoky when it comes to World Cup selection as to how he can fit in. But if we look at his record this year alone, after going away with Australia A and performing really well in Japan, he's come in as captain of the Rebels. And many of these games, he has been dragging that team through as a as a leader and as a seven so he for mine he's a really impressive player and one that if there wasn't this lockstep of you know established sevens we'd be picking him in a world cup squad i can't see it happening this time around with the amount of back rowers and the amount of specialists that we've got but he he does loom as a prospect for the likes of alliance to around the corner and from what we've seen of the rebels this year ando would you agree that he is a form seven as well he is one of them. Um, I don't agree with the idea of having him and McWright in the same starting 15. Just just no. Just mm. absolutely no in my mind. Um, they on. both fulfill the same role. Yeah, too, too light on, but also in terms of um, line-out impact that that could have as well, depending upon your eight option, because you'd want someone who's a bigger, heavier ball runner to compensate for the light on factor with those two at six and seven, um, which means there wouldn't be a jumping option. Like It's just... The Rebels... I, I don't think the balance... The Rebels throw him up in the line-out, though. Yeah, but not too often. Like, he's not going to be a regular line-out target. Unless I'm wrong and someone has the stats to prove me wrong. And I that, feel like he could. Um, but no, but he's not, he's not a good line-out option as someone like um, Liam Wright or Jed Holloway at 6R mm -hmm. or Ned Hannigan at 6. Like, there's a big difference between someone who can get thrown up for one catch... Holloway's a lock, games. Though. He, he, dude, he's been playing six for the Wallabies the for moment. the last like two years. Um, so, um, Under any, we don't know what Eddie's going to do. We don't know what Eddie's going to do. We know Thanks for doing nonsense. 
this is true. Yeah, and see how that went for us. But anyway, um, yeah, look, uh, Wilkin definitely post World Cup picture is going to be in the equation. But yeah, he's just not going in my mind. He he won't be a part of the team or or he won't be a part of the squad to France. In, yeah, no, I agree. Opinion. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think that this this change happens pre World Cup. But I'm fully expecting Michael Hooper to step away from definitely the Wallabies and maybe even Super Rugby next year, and he's out of the picture completely. So then we need to look at who's that next player coming through. And don't forget, we've got Charlie Gamble, who becomes eligible in a few weeks' time, I think, for Australia as well. So he's another player that's that's putting his hand up. I guess the only su- the suggestion that with that is that he's had such an injury-ravaged season so far this year, and he's not able to get consistent minutes on the park for the Waratahs. You don't think that he deserves to be picked over both Wilkin or McWright, even if we were picking a Wallaby squad for post-World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, So I think we've spoken about that enough. It's interesting to hear from both of you that, um, yeah, McWright, Form form 7, interesting. I I like that. And both pretty bold and confident in in that prediction and selection. So well done. So we're going to now move into our Before we move off this game, though, the one thing I wanted to ask Lockie, what were your thoughts on um, Pattaya's performance this week? We've seen in the last few weeks that he's he's had good performances in in that 15 position. And this week, I didn't think he, he seemed to struggle for mine. He lost a fair bit of ball, didn't end up managing to ground it with Hegarty coming across and cover defense. Not one of his uh, more dominant performances. No, I'd agree with that, Mitch. And in fairness, I think Pattaya is still finding his feet as a 15. He's been almost in the... A very different player to Reese Hodge, but almost played in a similar way that his versatility can be his undoing, that the Reds have been able to put him in across really from 13, 11, 14 and fullback and just, just to see what happens. So I'll give him some more time to figure out where in the back three he's best suited. But for mine, I'm a Jock Campbell fan in 15 with the Reds. I think he's a really consistent, safe pair of hands as a playmaker and Pattaya has the ability and the razzle to be able to inject himself as a dynamic winger in the mould of Marika. So that's where I see the yep. Reds pushing for the down the track. But, I mean, Pattaya's ceiling is stratospheric. I mean, we've seen the footwork that he's got. Once he develops his kicking game and is able to have those really secure moments as a fullback, we can see him be a viable option. But, yeah, you're right. It wasn't his best game. I don't think that's going to be happening you know, all the time though. He's still young. What is he, 22, 23? Yeah. Like we've got we've got a decade of Jordan Pattaya to find his feet. And when he does, he's going to be a pretty scary prospect. I often forget how young yeah. he is. Like he, what he made his Wallabies debut in the last World Cup at like 18 yeah. or something. And even then too young to really probably justifiably be there. Mm. Um, and yeah, the fact that he's been around so long, you kind of forget how old he is. The other point I have on this one before we move off is James O'Connor at 12. The The Reds looked really good and dominant in the first half. And when he went off at halftime due to that illness that he wasn't able to kind of see out the rest of the half, things kind of fell away and they definitely didn't look as cohesive, particularly in the back line. Do you think that 12 is the position that the Reds need to be playing Jock at for the rest of the season? Personally, yes. I love Jock at 12. I think he's really dynamic through the centres. He's able to use his stepping and running game more. He's not locked in as that distributor. And I think if we're going to develop from a Queensland perspective, the likes of Tom Lyon, or if we want to bring Lawson Crichton through as that utility playmaker, having O'Connor at 12 is a really stabilising influence. So while we've got the injuries to Paisami and Isaac Henry and these players who are still developing, both physically and as Super Rugby and some of them Wallaby players, having Jock at 12 is a great way to glue that back line together. So I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. Cool. Can, can I move on? Are we good? <laughs> yes. Now we can move we're, on from we're the good, Reds. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. So why don't we move now to the match of the week? And I'm going to head over to Lockie. You are taking this section, my friend. Yes, and what a fantastic game if you're a rugby fan, but if you're an Aussie rugby fan only, it was crushing to see our brightest and best in the Brumbies, and that is objectively, they are our brightest and best, go over across to the capital, an equally cold and windy and miserable place, and eventually go down in really, really trying circumstances. We saw a lot of toing and froing. We saw some really blockbuster highlight reels from the likes of Nick Frost, um, stretching the legs, but aside from the big man in space and his speed, uh, what do we take away from this game and seeing our 
highest ranked side, I go down to a Hurricane side that has also been performing pretty strongly. Ando, we'll start with you. Yeah, look, it was really frustrating in that it would have been great to have the narrative of um, three Aussie wins in a row over Kiwi opposition. Now, two of those would have come from the Highlanders being beaten, but that's okay. Uh, so, <laughs> unfortunately, um, we weren't able to continue that narrative. But, look, it wasn't a bad performance. And you look, you look back and watch the game, and they certainly weren't outgunned. I think that because they've got a couple of injuries to a couple of key players at the moment, if they'd had their full team, I think they could have come away with a win. Mitch, how about you, mate? What did you take out of this game? And were there positives in a loss for the Brumbies? I, we need to ask, I need to ask you boys how, where we want to go with this. Now, there's a few contentious calls that were made in this game and uh, a lot of people on Twitter are sort of up in arms around some of the decisions, some of the tries that were allowed to be awarded, some of the sneakiness of the New Zealanders going un, uh, unseen yet again. So do we want to dive into that a little bit or do you want to just stick to the rugby and, and talk about where the Brumbies didn't Mate, really definitely excel dive into it. I've got sort of two salty moments ready. So, um, like, I'm taking over your cut, mate. This is all me now. Do it. I so want to hear this. I want to feel the pain in the voice. <laughs> okay. So, firstly, I might start with the later, uh, the latter um, infringement or issue. Um, you remember how, who was it, Ryan Smith? Um, got pinged for holding back somebody just like hardly touching the shirt and holding them back. And supposedly that stopped a yep. try and so they got um, disallowed. Well, buddy, watch the 68th minute try to Aiden Morgan and watch um, Duplessis Karifi come up the side of the scrum and just hold Luke Reimer across and hold him back. And then Reimer is the one who's meant to be filling the gap that Morgan goes through to get the try. And um, and Reimer arrives late because he's had to push body Karifi off him, who's not allowed to be holding on to him. And clearly, clearly it's obstruction, like without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Now that probably happens in a lot of games, but uh, when we've got the precedent set earlier in the season with Ryan Smith getting called for it, it was clearly um, uh, yeah, being, oh, him being look, I, so I think this instance, say, say what you will about this happening in like any game of rugby, this instance is far worse than the Ryan Smith incident. Like in that incident, uh, geez, John- I can't remember who that Reds game was against. It was earlier in the season. So it's kind of like fallen from my mind with all the rugby we've watched since then. Regardless of who it was and what game it was, the defender in that instance was going the complete wrong way. They had chosen the wrong way to go and they were sort of turning around when Ryan Smith made contact, which stopped them in quotations, making the tackle. This one was blatant and in no instance is this allowed to happen in rugby from a scrum. There's no way that the number seven is allowed to make contact with the opposition at all. So the fact that that's not even looked at completely missed, not even reviewed by the TMO two touches. I can understand the ref missing it because he's on the ball, but I just don't understand how that that is allowed to be played on. I don't get it. There's no world where that should be allowed to happen. No, of course not. And at the end of the day, it's that dark arts part of it, isn't it? It's the the sixes and the sevens over in New Zealand where they you know they cook them up in the pot and pull them out of the embryonic fluid like some kind of Lord of the Rings situation. But they're always dastardly, and it's very in the. It's not even dark arts, is it? It's clear and obvious. It's not dark arts. It's not like you're pushing the ball out the side of a of a ruck when no one can see how it pops out. It's obviously obstruction. If it's, come if it's on. not getting that's up played by in, the referee, if that is played in, in Canberra, no doubt that gets called up. If if it's happening during the game, if this has happened in a previous instance, why wouldn't Kriffy keep doing it? It's pushing those boundaries, and that's what the Kiwis have been so successful at doing for such a long period of time. Is pushing it and pushing yeah. it and playing the whistle. So if we go th- back through the game and see, I'd wager there's an instance or two where Kariffi's got his hands on and he's testing the waters to see whether the ref's got eyes on. For mine, it's, it's, it's illegal, yes, but it's very, very good heads-up footy from Kariffi to be able to identify that the referee doesn't have eyes on that. And Ryan has got every right to be pissed because I am for him and I would be in his position. I just don't, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, how, I don't know. I'm lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> what about the other one, Endo? Run us through the the other one in the what was it? The ninth minute was it? 
No. Was that the one to Devin Flanders or Ari Sevilla? I remember the moment. The Sevilla, um, the 14th minute, the Sevilla try from the Omoa. Yeah, the Sevilla try. I mean, look, that's like nearly just went blatantly obvious. Yeah, like Amua throwing it in, it goes directly to like the chest or if I'm being major salty, left hand like side of Ari Sevilla, who then takes a couple of steps and passes it back to Amua. That was fine. That was backwards. But the throw in itself in no way, shape yeah. or form was straight or contestable. Like at all, at all. Um, and so you look at both of those and it's just too, too clear and obvious that uh, errors, fouls, penalties, which have resulted directly in Kane's tries, that you just go, oh, come on. The Hurricanes away from, um, the Hurricanes at home are hard enough as it is uh, outside of getting those calls. But look, to be honest, the Brumbies were still in the game despite these opportunities, and they just need to be better to take refereeing calls out of the equation. So I think that's it with the saltiness. Lockie, and sorry to balance out the ledger a little bit, and so we're not just sitting here ba- bagging the referee and saying that it was all against the Brumbies. In fairness, there was a, an incident where Tom Wright takes a run, gets tackled over the sideline, and then stands up and literally chucks the ball to this guy that's like on the sideline banging the banging the drum so that the, the Hurricanes couldn't take a quick line out. And that's, that's a penalty offense, and the referee did nothing about it either. So there were a few things missed there, just a bit of rugby shithousery basically from both sides they got sort of let go i think that phrase just about sums up most of the games from this week it's bang on but i mean i think to sum up this game if i may and try and regain a little bit of control of the segment that was lost the the brumbies really will take confidence and if they play the hurricanes again i'd wager that they'll dust them because despite those calls going against them and despite the, the late one in particular, that Morgan try, I think the Brumbies were well in a position not only to win this game, but to win well. We saw a couple of kicks go astray. If we had those you know, four to six points on, they're a winning side overseas. And how good are we talking up the Brumbies if they bag a win in the capital against the Hurricanes? So let's look forward to the Brumbies continuing, hopefully, to be successful from an Aussie perspective. And really, that litmus test for mine comes when they take on the Chiefs in a couple of weeks, Ando. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's going to be really the biggest match. Um, the Chiefs have been absolutely incredible. Peter Gossuakula is just, he would just scare me in terms of just how defined his beard is and how amazing and like he's just a specimen of masculine not masculine mm. he's just a specimen of a human being and he brings this physicality and dynamism that so many other teams are just going to have to struggle to deal with um the chiefs have been on fire and i pity anybody coming up against them in the next few weeks yeah particularly the highlanders next week right <laughs> <laughs> They're stuffed. They're just absolutely stuffed. Um, well, team, is there anything else? Lockie, is there anything you wanted to finally say for this um, match of the round? I mean, the Brumbies are still second on 32 points. Chiefs are out in front on 40. The Canes are third on 31. Blues, 30 points. And then Crusaders on 28. Then there's a massive drop off to the Reds on 19 in sixth place. So anything final for this match, my friend? Um. Big props to the Stones on Ryle Lonigan for coming back and taking that penalty at the end. I thought that was a really big mark of the player and of the kicker. And I know you'll enjoy this, Ando, as one of his fans. Um, but for him to shake off what was a pretty big misconversion in the scheme of the game, to be able to come back into it yeah. and say, nah, I've got this kick, drill it through. That's a bonus point that's kept them in second. Because if he doesn't kick that, they slide down to third on points difference and could be at a real risk of dropping out of the top four down the track if they don't jag that. So big props to him. I'm a fan as well. And hopefully that puts them in good stead for the next few weeks. Yeah, Mitch, um, I need to ask, how are things coming along on the hunt to find me a giant um, face poster of Ryan Lonergan? You said you were looking into that for me. How's that yeah, coming it's, along? It's, it's hit a few roadblocks, not going to lie. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, not getting a whole lot of responses from Brumby's HQ at the moment, but I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep my ear to the ground and I'll keep pushing. Uh, we'll see what we can All work right, out good for you, mate. Don't worry. Yeah, please. That that'll be very much uh, appreciated. I've got some space on on the wall behind me here. I think it would go perfectly. Just have him 
watching over my shoulders as we do this pod. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we have reached the end of the pod. Can I please remind you that we have the interview with Izzy Parisi coming on straight after this. So stick on the pod. You'll hear from him really, really soon. And he talks through some really interesting stuff about some of the challenges that the team has faced in how they're kind of communicating, connecting together, as well as his instant yep. reaction to the win over the Highlanders as well. So it has been a load of fun. If you happen to be up in Townsville or able to do a bit of travel, make sure you get up for the Super W final next Saturday. It will be a cracking game between the Fijiana and Drua and the Queensland Reds. So hope it's going to be an incredible match mitch thank you Lockie. thank you it's been a pleasure and we'll catch you later bye see ya see you, everyone mate routine try for you with that five blokes hanging off your off your back and you threw it oh no i just got the inside ball of jakey who we had a bit of go forward and then it's like jakey were on he gave me the ball and to be honest i thought it was a bit of nothing but i had uh Parecki uh, latch onto me, so it's like a fresh burst of energy just come behind me. So I was just like, he, he got me out of the line, to be honest. So it was all pork. It was, um, it was a bit of willpower there, I suppose. <clears throat> you just refused to, refused to go down. Did you just yeah. sort of think, well, I'm not, I'm not being... Oh, it was just one of those things, hey? Like, I was just sort of had an arm free, so I was just like, oh, I'll go down swinging. I might as well go down swinging. Yeah. Um, with the boys set up and stuff like that, but I was really lucky that pork latch onto me and pushed me over to the try line. It was a bit up and down that game, wasn't it? Was oh. Relief, Jake said in the just before that was his feeling. What about you? Yeah, uh, I, uh, to be honest, frustration. Um, yeah, there were so many times we, we didn't sort of do things to plan, and there's so many times we just let them back in the game um, from our own, you know, uh, areas not executing the little things right. Um, look, we got the win at the end of the day, but. I'm far from happy. So you've talked about the frustration in the past, mm. particularly in attack. What needs to change to really just keep unlocking that and playing at your potential? Oh, look, we just need to have our comms accurate. Like we, sorry, not even that. We just need to have our ears open um, and be ready to pull the trigger. Um, you know, when they hear those comms from out back, um, sometimes I feel like it's just, yeah, a bit of a miscommunication or might be like you know white line fever or something like that the boys you know see the trial line they get they light up but you know there's um there's plenty to work on plenty to um sort of review and um go into next week um refreshed what was, so what was the message when when they staged a bit of a second half comeback our message with us oh look once we got that um 10 in the bin we just had to sort of chill out cool our jets in defense and play some um Pretty simple attack. Just do the little things right. Make sure we get over the, you know, get to the breakdowns and run hard and stuff like that. But it was just really sim- taking it um, a step back from, you know, playing our footy and just really simplifying it until we get that 15 um, aside again. Just simplifying it like that. You know, you look at the break deal makes with seven minutes to go. Mm. Like, can that almost be good for this team heading forward? Just maybe keeping it a lot more simpler and, as you said, listening mm. to the comms and just keeping it. Yeah, routine. definitely. Like deal. Played outstanding tonight. Um, but there was just little things where we could have just maybe held the ball, or you know, when, when we do get that good forward, we let ourselves down by um, making little errors or misjudgings or trying to score off that line break where we can just build pressure and score off that. So um, yeah. How big is how big a victory is sort of belief and confidence? Like no matter how they're earned, mm. you know what I mean. Like when you first, the difference between going into a training week off the back of a victory mm. and back of defeat, you know, yeah. with, with five rounds to go, still searching. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's all about being present when you do get um, when you do take a loss on the weekend, and then you come in on Monday, Tuesday, you got to you know do your review um, uh, and review what we need to work on. And then staying present, not looking towards the future, not thinking about what happened or what we could have done, is just uh, focus solely on us and our game plan and what we're going to take into the weekend. Do you guys feel like you've done enough, even against those big teams in, in, mm. um, in close losses, that you can challenge this year if you get to the finals? Definitely, I think um, for you know our team when we're you know when we're on, frick, it's 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 unmatchable, I believe. Um, but we just, again, we needed the little things right, execution, um, just the little things that, you know, sort of hurt us and we allow the other team to come back into the game. 
is what really hurts us. So once we can get that, get on top of that sort of stuff, then we can freaking we'll be able to, you know, take it all the way. Got the Reds next week in Townsville. Mm. Does that give you yourself a bit of uh, extra motivation to get up and have a good performance? Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, I take every game the same. Um, I prepare the same. Um, I don't take any team lightly um, because you know at the end of the day it's Super Rugby and you know every team has X Factor. Every team it's you know who rocks up on game day and ready to go. Um, and I think it all comes down to prep. So yeah, I'm preparing the same as I always do for the week ahead and previous games so um, it should be a good one up in Townsville. You played yourself into a bit of form the last few weeks as well mm. what have you sort of done differently that's... Oh, I think it's just getting in the rhythm of things you know looking up you know playing my understanding not understanding but like things click things start to click with me um, so yeah I think it's it's all looking looking good but again not happy at where I am I want to be um, yeah I want to be playing a lot better, but, you know, sometimes you sort of got to um, play the way the game's going sometimes, and sometimes it's just a forwards game, so... You, got, you had a call up to the Wallabies again. Mm. Was that, was that um, confidence boosting, spending some time up there with Eddie Jones? Yeah, definitely. Oh, Eddie's he's freaking outstanding, eh? The, what he did with us at that camp. Um, it's hard to sort of put it all on one one play because there was a lot going on but I felt like it was very simple as well there was a lot going on but very simple Eddie Jones focuses on everyone's um, abilities and their you know their um, their point of differences and he just he's all about building you up and um, you know what you need to work on he you know he knows it will come so and he, he trusts that we're doing all that work um, at our super rugby club so yeah hats off to Eddie he's um he's doing so good with the group at the moment